What is going on? Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993 WBT. Happy Monday. Someone's got a case of the Mondays. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. And uh, when I uh, got off the air, well, I mean, I started the show on Friday. I uh, had no idea that this North Carolina Supreme Court ruling was going to come down on the constitutional amendments that North Carolina voters approved. And there were a couple that they that they voted down, but that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter that voters were able to discern between all six of the constitutional referenda. Irrelevant to the Supreme Court. The only thing that's relevant is the process by which we all got to vote on them. Our votes don't matter. The fact that we voted for four of them, rejected two of them, then that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter also that of the four that we approved, two of them were not challenged by leftist plaintiffs. Doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the process. The process by which we got to decide whether or not we wanted only two of the six referenda and only two of the four we approved. Voter ID... And setting the income tax rate at 7%. It was set at 10%, which, by the way, was bumped up during the Great Depression. The original 7% was in the Constitution, and, and they changed it. So lawsuits were filed, and the argument was that the state legislature was not allowed to even put that on the ballot for us to vote, yay or nay, Because the state legislature was comprised of what the leftists call a usurper legislature. In that they were enjoying a supermajority that they would not have had had it not been for redistricted, gerrymandered districts. Right. So because it was a uh, illegitimate legislature, these two referenda that we voted to put into our Constitution, or in the case of the the tax rate, to just reset it, those votes shouldn't count. Now, I'm not sure about the other two referenda that we also approved, the constitutional right to hunt and fish, and the uh, victim's notification law. They didn't challenge those two, but the reasoning should apply. The Supreme Court of North Carolina, in a four to three party line vote and that's what this was i mean they they have to explain themselves using case law and precedent and all of that but it was a 4-3 vote four democrats and three republicans and the democrats won the day because they have the four seats two of which by the way are up for election in november and they decided to conjure up a new test a brand new test Anita Earls is the justice that wrote this piece. By the way, Anita Earls also refusing to recuse herself in a case. This is the Leandro school funding case. Been going on for like three decades in North Carolina uh, where uh, poor school districts sued the state over lack of funding. And they said that the state was not fulfilling its obligation in the Constitution to provide this education uh, as it uh, is uh, mandated in the in the constitution of the state and so they said well uh we're going to sue and it's been going on for 30 years 
And uh, one of the litigants, one of the plaintiffs in the case, was represented by Anita Earls. And so now she's on the um, she's on the state Supreme Court. She represented families from Charlotte Mecklenburg when they intervened in the Leandro case. But she's not stepping aside. And this is a clear violation of judicial conduct, but it doesn't matter. You see, it's different when Democrats do it. That's it's different. That's what the D stands for. Different. See, when they see they can go represent an interested party in a case and then get elevated to judge in the case and then not step aside in the case. Because reasons. That's all. That's that's all you need to know. Just shut your pretty little face. You don't need to ask any more questions. It's different when Democrats do it. So the state Supreme Court has now decided there's a test that should be applied. And this was really the problem when the lower court, uh, Judge Brian Collins, who is a lefty, um, and and he's a Wake County Superior Court judge, and uh, he's the guy that the the North Carolina chapter of the NAACP always brings their cases to, it seems like, because he shockingly enough, always rules in their favor, it seems like. And he did in this case. And then it got kicked up to the Court of Appeals, and the Court of Appeals smacked it down, and then it got appealed up to the uh, state Supreme Court, and the Democrats on the state Supreme Court said, look, the trial court, so Brian Collins, should have looked at, should have examined as a threshold matter. So you got like a standard that you got to meet. There's a threshold here, okay? And he should have looked at whether the legislature was composed of a sufficient number of legislators elected from unconstitutionally gerrymandered districts, such that the votes of those legislators could have been decisive in passing the challenged enactments. What does all of that mean? It means the trial court should have looked at the vote in the General Assembly. And this is not the vote to approve it. This is the vote to ask us to approve it. And the state constitution says you got to have three-fifths of the House and the Senate. And they got that. But they got that because Republicans dominated both houses. And so what the judge was supposed to have done, even though it's nowhere in the law, I mean, it's not like there's any rules on this stuff now. That's why we're making them up. I mean, that's why we're, we're setting the standard now. Which is he should have looked at how many votes in each of the chambers were cast by lawmakers from the gerrymandered districts. And then he was supposed to have divined what a hypothetical lawmaker would have voted had it not been the lawmaker that won that seat. So obviously a very clear, very precise kind of standard that now North Carolina should be operating under. Oh, but wait, there are two other prongs. It's a three-pronged test, don't you know? That's just the first. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. A couple of messages here. You can hit me up at Pete Callender on Twitter. Also, Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Anita Earls, Supreme Court Justice, North Carolina Supreme Court Judge, who wrote the ruling on uh, the constitutional amendments. I've heard some people call it a punt, that they punted it back down to the trial court. Not really sure. They, they conjured up a test. They conjured up a three-pronged test 
and uh, it's it's brand new, and they just made it up. Now they say it's based on law, but I mean, law's been around for a while, and you know what I have observed is that you can kind of make the law say almost anything you want to. That's where we are. Anyway, Anita Earls could have saved a lot of ink and paper by just writing, I am finding a way to rule the way my former and probable future employer wants. That's, yeah, that's fair. Um, Andy says, North Carolina now has a lemon test. Ah. <laughs> this would be it. Uh, did that legislature pass any criminal laws in that period? If so, defense attorneys are going to have a field day challenging convictions. Well, no, no. You see, the the Supreme Court says this is only about constitutional amendments that the voters then vote yay or nay on. Any ordinary law that the legislature passed during the exact same time period, exact same lawmakers, those are all okay. Where uh, that would just create too much chaos, Right. And really, the point here is to make sure that voter ID doesn't... I mean, the point here is to provide clarity. Vector says, seems the Democratic justices are election deniers. There is a little bit of that. Sounds like a little bit of that going on, which I think that means you basically are an insurrectionist. I think that's what that means. Um, Three-pronged test. Number one. Number one. This is according to their own writing, the uh, Anita Earls and the Ford... Democrat judges, the three prong test from now on, whether there was a substantial risk that each challenged constitutional amendment would, quote, immunize legislators elected due to unconstitutional racial gerrymandering from Democratic accountability going forward. In other words, did they win with a with a gerrymander, an illegal gerrymander that was struck down after Democrats changed the definition of what the gerrymandering meant? But that's a different topic. So they changed all that, and then they were like, okay, here's the new standard. You guys, uh, you relied too heavily on it, and so now it's all struck down, and on, on, they relied too heavily on race, even though race and party affiliation, particularly among African Americans, is like a – it's almost one-to-one, right? And so when you are gerrymandering for partisan gain, uh, it's going to look like – this is what Alito pointed out in this U.S. Supreme Court ruling – is that it's going to look a lot like demo, or uh, uh, a racial ger- uh, gerrymandering, Right. It's going to look similar because it's almost a one-to-one match. Almost every African-American registered voter, it's like 90-plus percent, are Democrats. So if you're gerrymandering for partisan gain, it's going to look like you're doing so for racial purposes, too. And he warned the Supreme Court about labeling it as, as a racial gerrymandering because you don't have any proof that it's actually racially inspired. You're just drawing this conclusion based on data that could also represent you were doing it for political gain, partisan gain. But Democrats don't care about that. So anyway, um, you've got this test that says, first, if you draw the maps, win under those maps, do you then make a proposal to the, uh, to the state constitution in order to, uh, what they say, immunize themselves from democratic accountability? So, in other words, are you doing something to maintain your your position of power using the illegal map? Number two, perpetuate the continued exclusion of a category of voters from the democratic process. So this, to me, seems like it's specifically tailored 
to address the voter ID because Democrats take it as an article of faith that black people, for some reason, are unable to get driver's licenses. I find that to be kind of racisty, a little bit insulting and offensive, um, but that's the Democrat position. Then third, constitute intentional discrimination against the same category of voters discriminated against in the gerrymandering or the reapportionment process, the redistricting process. Okay, so if you gerrymandered in order to, uh, you know, crack or pack all, uh, you know, one racial group into certain districts, that's what, you know, so if you split up neighborhoods uh, or areas that are predominantly one racial or ethnic group, you split it up, that's called cracking. But if you put them all together, that's called packing. And depending on if you are a Republican legislature doing the drawing, uh, then you are accused of either of those two things. If you are a Democrat legislature, you get to do either one and nobody cares. Um, I don't make the rules. These are the rules. As best I can tell, these are the rules at the state and uh, national level. That's how clear the uh, redistricting laws have become in America. Because they need to change depending on whoever's drawing the map. Don't you see? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So just let's take a look back here. This was 2018 that we all got to vote on the uh, constitutional amendments. There were six of them at the time. And these were... Uh, all passed through the uh, House of Representatives and the state Senate. Not a position one way or the other, but just to let us decide whether we wanted to amend our state constitution. And the constitution requires three-fifths of each chamber to do so. And so this is what passed through. Now, they were gerrymandered districts. It came out afterwards. They were gerrymandered. We had to do new maps and all of that. But these these made it out the gate. Right? They 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 escaped the barn as it were, and we got to vote. And so the first one was protect, this is a constitutional right to hunt and fish. That was approved 57 to 43%. Next up, strengthening victims' rights. That was approved 62 to 34%, which makes me wonder, really, there's a third of the voters that were like, nah, Victims got too many rights already, I think. Let's not strengthen those. Um, Overwhelming, 62-38%. These two amendments have not been challenged by the left-wing organizations. The two that got challenged were setting the income tax rate back down to 7%, as it was for most of North Carolina history. Um, That was approved... 57-43. 57-43. So the exact same spread as the hunting and fishing uh, amendment. And then there was the photo ID vote. And that was 55.49% to 44.51%. So 55-45, a 10-point spread. There were two other amendments on the ballot that year. Nonpartisan Judicial Merit Commission. That went down. 67 to 33% and the creation of a bipartisan board of ethics and elections. So to change the makeup of the board of elections from a political partisan appointed uh, panel at the state and county levels and to change it into a bipartisan board that was defeated 62 to 38%. 
Now, I bring up all six of those because if you want to know the rationale behind this stuff, you need to know that all six of those were up for us to vote on. Only two of them got challenged. And we're supposed to believe that the voter ID and the uh, uh, the income tax cap, that these are somehow or another racial in nature. I understand the arguments uh, from the left about uh, voter ID and the racial implications. I'm going to set that aside for a moment because it's the same argument being used for the income tax rate. That's the test that we've now just been provided by the four Democrats in robes on the state Supreme Court. So I'm supposed to use the test that they conjured up and apply it to the income tax rate cap. What exactly does capping the state income tax rate at 7%, what does that have to do with race? Nothing. And in fact, our state income tax rate is capped much, or not capped, but it is set much lower right now. It's like 5%. So it's not even at play. No, what it's doing is protecting Democrats' ability in years down the road when they eventually take back control of the legislature, they say, they will then be able to raise your income tax rates. They want to go above 7%. They, they said that in the debate about that. I mean, they said it like, well, we never know. We may need the extra money for something. Right. They want to be able to raise your income tax rate up to 10%. They want to double it from where it is now, essentially. That's a partisan, that's a policy-driven position. That's why those two were the subject of the litigation. Not the Strengthening Victims' Rights Act, not the protection to hunt and fish. And if you think about it, that would have been, you know, more of uh, uh, more appealing to the left-wing voting base, right? I mean, I'm assuming that, like, vegans and vegetarians, I'm assuming they're... <laughs> I'm assuming they would be in favor of, of getting that one thrown out, too. So now what the state Supreme Court is trying to say also on this is that this is going to be narrowly defined, strictly limited to only, uh, you know, these two measures. It's not going to have any more of an expansive reach. And uh, I don't see how that's logical. So let me go over and read some of the responses. For example, the state GOP said this outrageously political ruling is not only an affront to the rule of law, but also an insult to the voters of the state of North Carolina. Under the absurd logic advanced by the four radical liberals on the North Carolina Supreme Court, every single action taken by the North Carolina General Assembly during the period in question would need to be invalidated. Now, I think that's overreach. I think that's too far. Every single law? No, because in reading the test, what they would have to say is, were there enough votes from these theoretical, hypothetical lawmakers in the gerrymandered districts that could have voted against it. So you have to, the first step is you have to imagine a different lawmaker, and then you have to imagine that lawmaker's position on a particular proposal. And if that position is different than the guy that was actually in the seat when the vote was cast, and if it was in a gerrymandered district. And once you figure that out, then you have to kind of replicate that same sort of uh, divination in every single district that was redrawn because of the gerrymandering ruling. See, so very precise, strictly limited, don't you see? 
Every law, every tax cut, the entire state budget, the additional constitutional amendments placed on the ballot and passed, all would be null and void. However, instead of applying this absurd logic uniformly, the activists on the North Carolina highest court are applying their reasoning solely to two favored political targets for elimination, voter ID and tax rate limits. Yeah, I, I, I am struggling to conclude anything otherwise. Then there is, well, I was, you know what, I'll go ahead and I'm running behind here. So let me just go ahead and uh, jump to our pals at McClatchy, Charlotte Observer, News and Observer, editorial board. Um, They say, here's a question that's more difficult than you'd think. What do you do when wrongfully elected politicians try to fundamentally change the state constitution? See, here's the key, though. I can answer the question. It's actually not a uh, it's not actually a more difficult question than I think, first of all. Second of all, how do you know how difficult of a question I think that is? That's like people are like, oh, be careful when you're lining up that putt. It looks a lot longer than you think. How do you know how long I think that looks? You have no idea. Just shut it. Anyway. What do you do when a wrongfully elected politician tries to fundamentally change the state constitution? See, the voters did that. The voters are the check on the legislature. That's what democracy looks like. Tell me what democracy looks like. That's what democracy, that's a check and balance. That's how that's supposed to work. So even when you have a legislature that's in place due to gerrymandered maps, that courts came along later and said you can't have them, um, you still have the check of the people. And in fact, the two defeated amendments lay bare the obvious here, except, of course, to the McClatchy editorial board, uh, that that's how you restrain a, quote, usurper legislature that tries to change the Constitution. Now, I know you guys are, you know, you're not with the majority of, well, basically every demographic group in um, supporting voter ID. I know they don't like voter ID. I get it. But sometimes you don't get everything you want, guys. Sometimes you don't win all of the elections. Sometimes you don't win this stuff. Sometimes more people disagree with you. Trust me, I know. I'm a lowercase l libertarian. I've been dealing with my whole adult life. Look, even when, even when the Charlotte Observer, News and Observer, McClatchy Editorial Board, when even they call your ruling muddled... <laughs> Uh, you got a problem, okay? So they say, what do you do, the, the McClatchy editors say, what do you do when wrongfully elected politicians try to fundamentally change the state constitution by asking voters, of course, to actually change it, which we did on four of the six questions. Even the North Carolina Supreme Court doesn't quite seem to know. The court ruled Friday that actions taken by an unconstitutionally gerrymandered state legislature may be invalid but only in certain cases, because lawmakers elected to office cannot claim to represent the people. Of course, the people voting, we were, we were represented in our votes, but whatever. The issue at the heart of this case is an important one, the editors say. If a legislature is elected through inherently undemocratic means, is it still a democratic body? See, again, they're focusing on the process in order to get the question in front of us. We then all decided... Yay or nay. And it was an overwhelming majority in all of the four amendments that passed. 
And it was an overwhelming majority when they said no, right? When voters said no to the two that failed. So people were able to discern the things they wanted and the things they did not. They say the court's answer to this question was a bit, was a, sorry, was a muddled, it depends. They called it a thorny issue. They said, is it prudent, for instance, to allow every legislative decision made over the course of nearly a decade to be challenged and possibly nullified? Oh, see, I think it goes far beyond just a decade. What about laws or amendments enacted when districts were gerrymandered by Democrats in the 90s? Indeed. Why stop at the 90s, though? They say, so is it prudent for these decisions to be nullified and challenged? Probably not. And that's a distinction the court appears desperate to make. Yeah, they're trying to conjure up a new standard. Because they really, really don't like the voter ID. Because they really, really believe it's going to disenfranchise voters. Particularly black voters. Because they really, really drank the (laughs) Kool-Aid. They really, really believe that black people cannot get ID. I Look, it's not my position. The court reasoned that the amendments likely would not have made it to the ballot if not for gerrymandering, since there would not have been a supermajority of Republican votes. That's a bit of a guess, but not an unreasonable conclusion, considering more than two-thirds of the districts had to be redrawn, which was what, that's not actually true. You can't say just because two-thirds of the districts got redrawn that that indicates that the vote would have been different. You don't know that. See, again, these are all hypotheticals, but also you had to redraw the districts because in North Carolina we have the whole county provision and we have the clusters Right. Or uh, that's what that's what Democrats call them. But these groupings, these county groupings that were set forth in law years prior that you're supposed to keep certain counties grouped together. So when you mess with one in a grouping, you then have to mess with all of the others. So you're just running up the score like, oh, look at all these that had to be changed. Well, you had if you changed one, you had to change a whole grouping of like four counties or something. So you don't. They weren't all gerrymandered. Anyway, so even even the McClatchy editors acknowledge that this test that the Democrats have conjured up, they've made up in this ruling, it's a bit of a guess. Um, any law that is passed by a close vote meets the same criteria that the state Supreme Court just outlined. And that's the problem here. They have set a standard in place where a judge could divine, just could make up a hypothetical lawmaker who takes a hypothetical position and hypothetically changes the outcome of a vote. If that hypothetical lawmaker would have, could have run in a district that was determined to be an illegal gerrymander, which, by the way, you can essentially conjure up uh, the charge of gerrymandering for every map. Gerrymandering is more art than science. It really is. Like, the, like recognizing what's a gerrymander and what isn't, most people think, oh, I, you know, it's got to look a certain way, right? It's got to be all squiggly and all of this, got to stretch all the, you know, like Mel Watts District for all those years when Democrats were drawing maps. Went from Charlotte to Greensboro as wide, literally, as I-85 at certain points, just to connect the two areas, right? But they said that was okay. Those gerrymanders were okay because it achieved a racial outcome that they wanted. See, so much of this stuff is reverse engineering. 
So if you, you tell me what your assumption is, then I can work backwards from that. And that's why I always ask Democrats in these debates, what's a fair map? Tell me what, what does a fair map result in? What does it yield? And they never seem interested in answering that question. Thank <laughs> you.